the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Was the Super Bowl actually rigged? And then we're joined by Lou Ramos, pastor of the Storehouse Church in Chicago. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Wednesday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. In the middle of the week, we're making it. It is Valentine's Day. I'm doing a public service to those of you, uh, those of you, especially us men out there who tend to forget these things. I would encourage you, don't make the assumption that your wife, your girlfriend, or whatever else does not want anything. So I'm just a little public service announcement here. Uh, After 24 years of marriage, I asked my wife yesterday, what do you want to do for Valentine's Day? What are you, what are your expectations? What are your hopes and dreams? It's better to know my friends than it is to not know. So uh, Valentine's Day, happy Valentine's Day to all of you out there. We hope that you feel loved. And uh, maybe later in the show, we'll share the story a little bit of St. Valentine. And uh, it is it is a crazy story. Uh, but happy Valentine's Day. Today is also the beginning of Lent. It is Ash Wednesday. And so, again, for those of you who especially celebrate, I know that even under the umbrella of Christianity, uh, some of you do celebrate Ash Wednesday. So you see people walking around today with ashes on their forehead. Others of you... Uh, do not, uh, but it is Lent, and whether you uh, dive all the way in or don't, it is an important time to be able to go, okay, let me actually think about, um, even if I don't give anything up, I think it is still a great time for any of us to go, okay, as I prepare myself for Easter, because that's what Lent is, right? It is the preparation that brings us to Easter, which this year is on March the 31st. As I prepare myself for Easter, what are the things that occupy my mind? What are my idols? What are the things that I hold on to that if I were to give them up, even for this short amount of time, it would point me to Jesus. It would, um, it's kind of like, you know, fasting and Sabbath and these types of things. When we slow down, when we fast from things, when we remove some things, it allows us to focus our hearts and our minds on Jesus. And that's what we want to do in the Easter season. Again, some of you, especially, you know, if you're non-denominational or you're Baptist or whatever else you might be, you likely don't dive into Lent the same way many traditions do. But we still want to prepare for Easter. Right? We got Easter is comes upon us and we say this with every holiday it feels like whether it's Christmas or Easter that it just comes upon you. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I got to get rid in. All of a sudden Easter is over and you you haven't taken the time to truly reflect upon the sacrifice of Jesus on Good Friday in the victory of the empty tomb on Easter Sunday. And and so even if that isn't your tra- tradition, I would I would encourage you to 
orient your life, to do something. Maybe it's read a book. Maybe it's it's a Bible reading plan at uh, the Bible app. It's to get you ready for Easter. We want to land on Easter, which again is March 31st this year. We want to land on Easter, Holy Week in general, prepared, uh, reflective, expectant, and thankful for who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So it starts today with Ash Wednesday, man, Ash Wednesday and Easter uh, and Valentine's Day being on the same day. Uh, that is a that is a special day, and we're glad that you are joining us. And again, guys, if you're in your car right now and you're thinking to yourself, my wife doesn't want anything for Valentine's Day, uh, let me encourage you as one who's been married for 24 years, go make a stop. You know, get a card. Get her favorite food. What would your wife love for dinner tonight? Or uh, maybe it's just her favorite dessert. It doesn't need to be some major purchase. Go do something. Well, we're glad, again, that you're joining us a little bit later in this hour. We're going to be joined by Lou Ramos, pastor of Storehouse Church in Chicago. We're excited to talk to Lou. Uh, But before that, we are just a couple days away from the Super Bowl. Uh, You know, I don't know if anyone isn't aware, although... Uh, yesterday, I saw somebody who posted on Twitter going, hey, major victory. I still don't know who won the Super Bowl. I'm sure they know by now. Uh, but if you've been living under a rock, the Kansas City Chiefs were victorious in overtime over the San Francisco 49ers. And there's something going on right now, especially in kind of weird right wing kind of corner of the social media world where everything is rigged and everything's a conspiracy and everything is uh, predetermined, whether it be elections, right, rigged, 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 whether it be uh, whatever else it might be. And now there's strange movement around this idea that the NFL is rigged. Uh, In fact, I read this tweet from uh, a former NFL player. He, He wrote this. NFL is basically the WWE now, all scripted, fixed. They pick who they want to win. It's all for entertainment, and honestly, I don't even know why I watch and care so much. It's all fake. Somebody replied to him, the words of a man that lost a bet. I used to think it was just on the very, very fringes of people who were like, the NFL is rigged, the NFL is rigged. Now it's kind of mainstream. There's all these conspiracy theories around the NFL, around the Kansas City Chiefs and Taylor Swift, and it gets really strangely political. Uh, Joe Biden fixed it, or the Democrats fixed it, and are using Taylor Swift, and there's going to be this... It's got to be exhausting to live in a world where you believe everything is rigged and everything's a conspiracy. Now, I've told you before, I may be too believing of things, but I've never... For one time in my life, watched an NFL game, and I've been watching the NFL as long as I can remember in my life. I've never once watched a game and gone rigged. There are they've they've got it right now. I've watched it and gone that refing is really bad, but that's because they're human refs. But I want to talk about this on a larger scale. This is a dangerous element of our society that everything's rigged, everything's conspiracy. If the, if you're 
favorite team doesn't win, it's rigged. If your politician doesn't win, the election is rigged. If whatever else, it's all rigged. Now it's going to get to the point where we can't believe or trust anything. And I would tell you this. I would have to think that most of the people who are calling out rigged on social media and on TV and whatever else don't believe it themselves. But it's a great way to get clicks, and it's a great way to make some money. Friends, you can disagree with me, and you can say, oh, you're just a a naive whatever. The NFL isn't rigged. It's not rigged. In overtime, they called a penalty on the Kansas City Chiefs where if they hadn't called it, the San Francisco 49ers would have had the punt and the Chiefs would have just had to go short distance to go kick a field goal. Doesn't seem like what you want to do when it's rigged. Enjoy football. Enjoy the basketball games. Enjoy baseball. Not everything has a political undertone to get somebody into office. Sometimes just football is football. And I've said this before. If you are find yourself to be a Christ follower and a conspiracy theorist who believes everything's rigged. That's dangerous because we are people of the truth. We claim to know the truth. We claim that Jesus Christ is the truth. And if people in your life hear you say you can't know anything is true, you can't know it's all hidden, but then you say, oh, except Jesus, he's the way, the truth, and the life, people are going to go, why would I believe you about anything? Friends, everything's not political. Everything's not this grand Illuminati trying to move the chess pieces on the board. What an exhausting way to live. But it's still, it's growing. It used to be these fringe QAnon, whatever. And now you start to see the mainstream. Dangerous, dangerous. Just enjoy the NFL for what it is. Just enjoy sports for what it is. Uh, and and we'll all be better off. Today is, val- it's the beginning of Lent. So, you know, if you want to be super spiritual, it's the beginning of Lent. As we start moving towards Dash Wednesday, we start moving towards Easter and preparing ourselves. So, uh, Ash Wednesday, Lent. But it also happens this year to fall on Valentine's Day. If you have not gotten something for your significant other, for your spouse, or if you're dating, uh, this is a good time to do so. You're running out of time. It is Valentine's Day. But there's a significant story behind Valentine's Day. I won't read the whole thing, but do you know the story of St. Valentine? That's the amazing thing. When you come to things like Valentine's Day or St. Patrick's Day, there's a story. So I saw this tweet uh, with the hashtag Happy Valentine's Day 2024 says this, St. Valentine was imprisoned, beheaded, and buried On February the 14th, 269 A.D., why was he imprisoned, beheaded, and buried? For helping persecuted Christians and marrying Christian couples. There's the love. While in prison, he prayed for his jailer's daughter, and her blindness was healed. On the day of his execution, remember, February the 14th, hence Valentine's Day, on the day of his execution, he left a note for the jailer's daughter and signed it, your Valentine. So you can start to see the beginnings of the tradition. Now, uh, it's one thing to say, oh, yes, it's all lovey-dovey and uh, kind of a hallmark deal. It's another thing to say that it is 
comes from the saint who was imprisoned, beheaded, and buried. But you see the kind of the thread of marrying Christian couples and helping persecuted Christians and do a, a miracle of blindness being healed and then signing the note, your Valentine. It was the first Valentine that was left. So there you go. Happy Valentine's Day. It's hap- it's it's important to remember those things. It's just an, the idea that he was beheaded and imprisoned uh, beheaded and buried because of helping persecuted Christians. Like, that's our lineage. That's 269 AD. Obviously, back then, it was the church was really persecuted and it was uh, a very dangerous time to follow Jesus, but they did it anyway. The, the martyrs and the saints and the, uh, the early church, you know, all the way back into the book of Acts, you read about Stephen like standing up and challenging the people about who Jesus is and what they had done. And it leads to him being stoned and becoming the first martyr. And then you read this stuff about whether it be St. Valentine or others. It reminds us the heritage and the lineage of our faith. And that there are still people around the world. There are still brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are facing persecution who are facing danger, who still have this kind of thing hanging over them. We could be thankful that we don't, but we take up the call to pray. We take up the call to remember and to advocate and whatever it is that we can do. So uh, even today on Valentine's Day that falls on Ash Wednesday and the beginning of Lent, all of that mixed together, we remember the sacrifice of St. Valentine, uh, martyred, for helping persecuted Christians and marrying Christian couples. And he signed his note, your Valentine. So anyway, little bit of background that I found to be fascinating. Total right turn here. Uh, Russell Moore over Christianity Today was thinking about the death of Toby Keith last week. Toby Keith uh, died from cancer in an 18-month, I believe, battle with cancer Uh, And a lot of people celebrating Toby Keith, a lot of people remembering, listening to his music, whatever else it might be. Russell Moore wrote this at Christianity Today, what Toby Keith taught us about the songs we need. Angry Christians require angry songs or better yet, angry psalms. And so he's suggesting that uh, Toby Keith was so popular because he tapped into something very patriotic, uh, but he also tapped into uh, an anger, a an emotion uh, that people were feeling and are feeling. In fact, he has a song called The Angry American. Uh, and so uh, Russell Moore wants to kind of think about anger. And we talked about this yesterday as we closed out the show. Is there a right kind of anger? So he, Russell Moore wants to point us to the Psalms. He says this, one of the things a new Christian encounters in reading the Bible through the Bible for the first time is how comforting and reassuring the Psalms can be. There's a reason the new Christian might think that people want Psalm 23 recited to them on their deathbeds. Uh, there's a reason they might realize that so many of these words are sung in celebra- celebrative praise and worship songs. But then that new Christian might come upon other psalms that never show up in the song, songs that seem disturbingly angry. 
So the Psalms, this idea of anger, he goes on to say the Psalms are not merely reassurance or celebration, though many are. They also include the full range of emotions, not just displaying them and putting them into the context of redemptive history, but also calling the expression of a right form of them from us. Deep calls too deep, the Psalms say in 42.7. The depths of the word of God do just that to us. Uh, Jesus commands us to love our enemies, to bless those who persecute us, uh, but there's also this idea of, of anger. The Apostle Paul writes, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay evil. I will repay, says the Lord. The way of Jesus does not dismiss anger, but transfigures it by the way of the cross. And that's what we have to remember. Jesus, when he went to the cross... Uh, transformed even anger. And so Russell Moore ends it this way. He says, uh, most of the rage, or let's go up one. He says, we have better songs, psalms of anger and of awe, of lament and of elation, of disappointment and of gratitude. We shouldn't be embarrassed of them. We need them. Most of the rage we see all around us isn't really anger. It's not alive enough to be anger. The adrenaline jolt of hating somebody can give a little jolt to the system, but it's as distant from genuine anger uh, as it can be. When you step into a different world, the one you enter through the Psalms, you might be surprised by anger, but it's real, and it's not the last word. The other kind of rage that ain't worth missing, he says. So anger, but like this, this, like, this anger... Um, that's real, he says, but it's not the last word. See, a lot of us go, oh, look, the Bible says I can be angry. No, the question becomes, what do I do with my anger? I bring it into the throne room of God. I, I not just confess, but I, I share with God, this is what I'm angry about. And then I realize that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we're getting ready to celebrate as we head towards Easter, uh, he works in and through our anger. He brings redemption and transformation, and we are reminded that at the cross, uh, everything changed. So I thought this was really helpful. You can find it at Christianity Today, uh, and Toby Keith, the Psalms, anger, what do we do with that? As we think about Valentine's Day, and as we think about love, and uh, most of Valentine's Day is centered on, like, how am I going to love my, lo- my wife well? Uh, How do I love my children well? And on Valentine's Day, we show them with the gifts that we give or the cards that we write or, you know, whatever else it might be, the date we go on. But I want to talk about loving ourselves. How do we love ourselves well? I think that's worth thinking about on this Valentine's Day because a lot of us really struggle with this. We can love other people. We can... Uh, be kind to other people, we can reach out to others, we can be compassionate and all of these things, but we are not those things to ourselves. Instead, to ourselves, we are regretful and angry and full of shame and whatever else. What What's wrong with you? Why do I keep whatever else fill in the blank? And so how do you view yourself when you look in the mirror? On this Valentine's Day, where we think about love, do you love yourself? 
And I don't mean this in a conceited, narcissistic, prideful way. But I also think it is not the way of God for us to hate ourselves and to, uh, you know, just lament who we are. We're created by God. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He uh, loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. He's adopted us into his family as his children. And so to say I'm not worth anything or to look in the mirror and say I'm unworthy uh, is to reject who God says that we are. So how do we get this right? I was grateful over the Denison Forum, our friend Jim Denison. I saw this little one that he wrote. It just says do versus done. Do versus done. And I thought this would be, as we close out this hour, helpful just to read this short thing. He said, As a wise mentor once told me, the difference between Christianity and every other worldview can be summarized by this simple formula, do versus done. If we focus on what we do, we're never done. We have to keep doing it with no assurance that we ever have done enough. If we focus on what Christ has done, there's nothing we must do. Ephesians 2.8 says, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, but it is a gift of God. Now we have a choice to make, he says. We can find our identity in what we do with all the failures and frustrations common to fallen people. Or we can find our identity in what Christ has done, remembering every day that we are the beloved children of God. I just talked about that. That's our identity. Like I love in the Bible, it says, and we are God's children, and that's who we, that's what we are, exclamation point. Like, I can't believe it. Dennison goes on to write, we can serve him, not so he will love us, but because he already does. We can serve others, not so they will love us, but because our Father loves them. Imagine the difference such grace-centered, joyful living would make in our unhappy, anxious, performance-driven culture. John MacArthur, he writes, noted this, God treated Jesus on the cross as if he lived your life so he could treat you as if you lived his. And then Denison asks, how will you treat yourself today? How will you treat yourself today? So um, there's a lot to this, but what this is getting at is our identity, our identity in Christ. Will I live like so many of us live, trying to impress others, trying to impress God, trying to win his approval? Or will I live out of his already approval through Jesus Christ? I love how Dennison frames this because uh, so many of us lose sight of the fact that it's not about what we do, but it's about what Jesus has already done. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. That's what God has done. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what God has done. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what Christ has done. We are called children of God, adopted into his family through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I have three kids. I've talked about them often on this show. And especially as they were growing up, think about this for a second. How bad of a father would I be 
if I lined my kids up every day at the end of the day and said, you know what, you didn't earn my love today. You didn't do enough to please me. Oh, but child number two, you did. You did, so I love you. Child number one, hopefully I'll love you tomorrow because hopefully you'll do better. Like that would, like that would make me the worst parent in the world. Like even the worst parents, I don't think would say that they live that way. But yet so many of us approach God that way. God's up there with his notebook going, oh, you didn't read your, you didn't do your devotions today. You, you got mad. You snapped off at somebody. You, you, you snapped at work. Oh, you drove a little bit over the speed limit today. And, and, and there's, there's this list of things that we do wrong. And at the end of the day, God looks at us and says, I'm not pleased with you today. Do better tomorrow. And we live with that burden of performance like it's not about God's grace. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that, is that it's by grace you have been saved, not by works. That it's all about what Jesus has done. And a lot of us who've been in the church for a long time, we treat it like it's like about what Jesus has done to get into the club, to get into the family. But then it's about what we do. That's not correct. The gospel, what Jesus has done for us, is the beginning, it's the middle, it's the end of the faith. In fact, the longer I'm a Christian, the more I should begin to recognize my need uh, for the gospel, for that grace. So how do we love ourselves on this Valentine's Day? The primary way that we love ourselves is to see ourselves the way that God sees us. In Christ, his adopted children, loved more than we could ever imagine, accepted because of what he has done, not because of what we can do. And out of that, we worship Out of that, we serve. Out of that, we follow him. Not so that he will approve of us, but because he already approves of us. Friends, not in a narcissistic way, but you can love yourself this Valentine's Day because of your identity in Christ and because of how much you're loved. How much are you loved? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. I just read that close to $26 billion will be spent today, uh, hopefully most of it on, you know, uh, boyfriend to girlfriend, husband to wife, wife to husband. But they did speak about how much of it will actually be spent on pets. So a lot of you out there getting your pets Valentine's gifts, more power to you. I've got two dogs. I love them to death. They're probably not going to be part of my Valentine's Day celebration. But if that's how you roll, you be you. Good luck with that. And uh, spend your money on some special bones for your dog or whatever else it might be. But happy Valentine's Day. Uh, as It is also... Today is Ash Wednesday and the first day of Lent. And so I know uh, certain traditions do that more than others, but 
Uh, At the very least, as we've been saying, today is a day to begin that journey of preparation for Easter, to begin that kind of walk. And and I I really value that and and, and I'm thankful for that, even as I come out of a non-denominational tradition that doesn't necessarily do this, like, say, the Catholics or the Anglicans or whoever else, but... um, it's still important in this in this busy, uh, so much going on, things are moving fast kind of culture that we live in to slow down, think about Easter, start going down that pathway. And uh, so that when we get to Easter Sunday on March 31st or Good Friday on March 29th, we are not going, wait, today's Easter? I wasn't ready for it. But instead, we've begun preparing ourselves uh for Easter. Uh, So before we get completely away from the Super Bowl, there's still in the Christian world, I would say, a lot of discussion going around about the He Gets Us ad. Now, cynically, people are referring to these, especially outside of the church, they're referring to these as the Jesus commercials. And in the first quarter of the Super Bowl, there was one particular He Gets Us ad uh, in which Jesus is washing feet, and it, the the kind of the feel of it, the the point of it is obviously the tagline he gets us, uh, but it's that Jesus didn't. The commercial ends with this phrase: Jesus didn't teach hate; he washed feet. It's been fascinating to see what the um, blowback has been about the he gets us ads. So. On the more progressive, non-Christian side, uh, you Google, he gets us, and you're going to see things like Hobby Lobby founder who preaches hate and anti-gay, anti-LGBTQ funded these commercials. You're going to see anti-abortion behind this. You're going to see this is a money grab for this social, a lot of uh, to be expected, I suppose, uh, cynicism around this. Uh, and so um, that's to be expected, right? That's to be expected. I guess it's also to be expected what is going on in the Christian right wing, especially more conservative world towards this commercial. Newsweek had an article the other day or this morning. It says this Christian Super Bowl commercial outrages conservatives. Let me give you their kind of background. A Christian commercial about Jesus that aired during the Super Bowl angered some conservatives who felt like the advertisement justified certain sins. The commercial, funded by the organization He Gets Us, showed images of several people, including a woman outside a family planning clinic and a person attending a protest, having their feet washed, a reference to the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It ends with Jesus didn't teach hate, he washed feet. The The images are meant to symbolize how we should treat one another, while the commercial is meant to call themes of love and unity and love your neighbor and remind everyone, including ourselves, that Jesus' teachings are a warm embrace, not a cold shoulder. Still, others have uh, gotten upset. So you might be thinking, why would conservatives be angry about this? Why would they be upset? Well, uh, it seems to imply in their minds uh, that Jesus was okay with all kinds of sinful behavior. Uh, 
he said, this is Robbie Starbuck, a music video director on Twitter. He said, Jesus didn't go hang out with prostitutes or any other sinner because he accepted the choices they made. He did it to inspire them to change. Joel Berry, editor of the Babylon Bee, wrote uh, uh, that he believes the commercial is strictly following oppressed versus oppressor intersectionality guidelines and trying to either sell Jesus to leftists or cynically use Jesus to sell a political movement. It goes on and on and on. Uh, Pastor Daryl Harrison, he said it would take a week at least to properly exegete this mission statement by he gets us. At best, it is moralistic, therapeutic deism. At worst, it is Gnostic heresy that posits Jesus as a divine social worker. You'll see a lot of these over and over. Now, spokesman for he gets us says our intent is to share the authentic love Jesus showed with anyone and everyone. Our ads this year kick off a year-long focus on loving your neighbors, which will come to life through service events, art, advertising, and engaging content and experiences that bring people together. While we may use different words or methods than others, we hope that it compels people to be curious and explore Jesus's story. And then it goes through the people who have defended it. On Twitter, Dan White Jr. said, Jesus washed the feet of a doubter, a denier, and a betrayer, the least we can do is be kind to those we disagree with. So uh, it's, hey, the point of an ad is to get conversation going. I'm not sure that they knew this conversation would be happening, but the point of an ad is to get conversation to eventually point you to a website, and that is probably happening. Uh, I will say this, these, this ad was not perfect by any means, Right. And the conservatives have a point because if the point of the of the ad was simply Jesus washed the feet of sinners or Jesus washed the feet of people who aren't his followers, not like him. um, Everything in the commercial is kind of using air quotes here, kind of is from the left. It's from the progressive side. Right. So. You know, you could have had Jesus washing the feet of somebody in a MAGA hat, or you could have had it at whatever else it might be. So if you're going to want to nitpick it a little bit, I understand that. But on a grander scale, I, I, I do think this highlights one of the bad things about our Christian subculture right now, that we just tear at each other and we can't see the big picture that says, hey, let's... Uh, Let's get people to a place where they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to be open to the words of Jesus. Yes, Jesus talks about sin. Yes, uh, I don't even think this ad is saying, hey, what you're doing is okay. Like, that's not the point. But that Jesus did, in fact, come and dine. In that day, that's a huge deal. Dine, party with prostitutes and sinners and the outcast. And we are called to do the same and that it was the religious elite way back in that day who said, quit doing that. Much the same reaction that's going on here. So I will grant you there are things to pick at at this commercial. There are things that uh, you could roll your eyes at a little bit. But I still feel like we as Christians need to, instead of just constantly going at each other and going, hey, look how I'm right – How about we pray that as people get to this website, that they would encounter, that they would have a real encounter with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who washes feet, and that we would pray that the seeds planted would be grown, they would be watered, and they would be grown, and that lives would be changed. 
Again, I would agree, not a perfect ad. But I think we're missing the forest from the trees here. I saw a fascinating story uh, out of California that highlights yet again something the Bible talks about often, right? The Bible often talks about the um, the kind of fallacy, the lunacy of putting all of our hope in our money, in our possessions. You think about that parable that Jesus tells when the guy has so much stuff that he has to build a bigger barn. And then he puts his feet up and he says, I can just take it easy now. I've, I've made it. And the difficult part of that story is he has made it. It's the American dream. And uh, he puts his feet up. He says, basically, I've made it. And then he's called a fool. And I think that's one of the messages of scripture. Don't be a fool who puts your hope in your bank account, who puts your hope in your big house or your retirement fund or whatever else it might be. Keep those aren't bad things. But keep focused on the primary things. What is most important? So what's the story? Here you go. There's there's aerial footage of this that is fascinating. Uh, a new $16 million mansion is on the verge of falling off a cliff into the ocean in Dana Point, California. Two other homes priced at $12.8 million and $13 million are in danger of falling off the cliff as well. If you see these pictures, they are literally dangling over the cliff. Uh, the situation took a turn for the worse last week when heavy rains caused a landslide, resulting in a large part of the cliff breaking off onto the beach below. City manager Mike Killebrew says no structures are jeopardized at the moment and that the residents have not been told to evacuate yet. Okay, if, if you Google this and you see this, I, these residents have to have evacuated. I, like, the, the earth underneath parts of the house is gone. So I hope they did evacuate. Residents have been told, however, to be on the lookout as a future storm could, in fact, send the homes into the ocean. So th think about this. You build a $16 million mansion, a $12.8 million mansion, a $13 million mansion. You stick it right on the cliff here in Dana Point, California. The, again, I'm looking at the aerial, the video of it. And it's stunning. The, the houses are gorgeous. The view is unparalleled. It's up overlooking the ocean. Like these people have made it. Like they have, they have conquered the world, if you will. And now after some storms, it's starting to fall. Uh, and their houses may very well fall into the ocean. And uh, it's yet another reminder that when we put our hope in things like our dream house that we finally re were able to build, our bank account that finally reached its goal, the retirement that we have planned, Oftentimes, life happens. And the things that you had planned, the things that you had put your hope in, the things that you had said, oh, I've, I've made it, metaphorically or 
hopefully not, but possibly literally in this situation, come crashing down. Friends, this is a modern day parable playing out on this from this overhead view. This is a modern day parable of the dangers of putting your hope in wealth. What does Jesus say? Do not put your hope in the things of this world where moth and rust destroy, or in this parable where, uh, where storms take literally the dirt from underneath it, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where things last for eternity. There's another pair. There's another thing Jesus says that makes me just, I just stare at this picture. Jesus describes the life when our life is built on sand and the instability of that versus building our house on the rock, which is Jesus. Now this isn't sand, but it clearly gave way when the storms of life came. And so I think things like this cause us to pause and just go, what have I built my life upon? Where's my hope actually lie? Is my hope indeed in Jesus Christ, the firm foundation? Or is it on things that could be here today, gone tomorrow? No matter how big the house, how big the, like, you could have a house this big. And then when that cancer diagnosis comes, does it really matter? You can have a huge bank account. And then when the doctor comes with bad news, does it really matter? But yet, friends, this is so enticing. This is so alluring. I understand it. If you could, if I could have a house like this, I'm like, I'd be, I'd be as happy as I could be. But the Bible speaks truth when it says, do not put your hope in these things. And so we hope for these people that their houses don't go crashing down, that they're able to stabilize them and kind of hold it back. But it serves as a warning for each of us. For you, what would signify abundant life, a good life? Jesus said he came to bring abundant life. Our culture tells us have a house like this and you've got abundant life. Again, I got no problem with houses like this. The question is, what's our ultimate goal? What are we living our lives for? What's what's the ultimate purpose? The Bible holds that question up over and over and over again. So I would encourage if you want to see this, you could Google, where is it at? Dana Point, California, uh, and you'll probably see overhead shots of it. Uh, Really, really pretty fascinating. Well, coming up next for the rest of the show, we're going to be joined by Lou Ramos and Jesus Jarena as we talk about... uh, their work and the opportunities for churches and individuals to get connected with the National Youth Advocate Program. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. We're glad that you joined us today. We hope that you have a great evening. Join us again tomorrow from 4 until 6. Again, until then, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.